It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Shannon Bream. I'm Bill Hemmer. I'm Kennedy, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Monday, December 4th, 2023, I'm Mike Emanuel. House Speaker Mike Johnson says he believes he has the votes to launch a formal impeachment inquiry into President Biden. One of his top lieutenants says a successful floor vote will give the process legitimacy. I think what our speaker has decided, Mike, is that we're going to go forward with the uh, vote on the floor so that when we do go to court uh, to get these uh, subpoenas enforced, You just take away the White House argument. We speak with Minnesota Congressman Tom Emmer, who serves as the House Majority Whip. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. The polls went up. Now more money's flowing in from big-name donors. But what really could be Nikki Haley's path beyond second place to beating former President Trump? as some Republicans insist she's held back by her stances on foreign policy. One is much better than the other. And, And in this case, you have to pick the candidate who is going to win in the general election. That candidate is not Donald Trump. He lost to Joe Biden last time. And I'm Ricky Schlott. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. House Republicans have been digging into Biden family business dealings overseas for months, alleging that countries like China buy politicians off. The new House Speaker is calling a formal floor vote a necessary step. The evidence is so clear you cannot look away. And the Constitution requires the House to follow the truth where it leads. We, we, we have a duty to do this. We cannot stop the process. Republican leaders like House Oversight Chairman James Comer are convinced a vote authorizing the impeachment inquiry would strengthen their legal standing in court insisting the Biden White House has been stonewalling their investigation. We are unified uh, at a time when I think it's no secret our conference is broken in a lot of ways. The members have heard from their constituents back home. Uh, they have confidence in the credibility of our investigation and the mountains of evidence that we've accumulated. So I'm confident we're going to have the votes to move forward with this impeachment inquiry. There's also ongoing negotiations over funding for Ukraine and Israel with Republicans demanding serious efforts to secure the southern border. Speaker Johnson is in the middle of that battle, too. We will not be sending money to Ukraine unless we get border policy changes on our own border. Our constituents back home say, why would we help to secure the border of a foreign country when we don't have our own? Tackling all this work in the coming weeks and months will likely be more challenging for GOP leaders with one less Republican member. After lawmakers voted to expel New York Congressman George Santos. Elise Stefanik of New York is the House GOP conference chair. You know, I think many of our colleagues looked at the Ethics Committee report and had concerns uh, that uh, this is not befitting of a member of Congress. Again, my concern was that the lack of due process. And it's a very slippery slope when this type of precedent is set. However, the House worked its will. As a Biden impeachment push is likely to dominate the news in the House this week. People need to understand First off, we have a, a constitutional responsibility, we, the, uh, the Republicans in the House majority, to follow the facts where they lead us. Minnesota Republican Congressman Tom Emmer is the House majority whip. You know that uh, Jamie Comer is chair of the uh, Oversight Committee, Jim Jordan chair of the Judiciary, and Jason Smith uh, chair of the Ways and Means Committee. 
have done some amazing investigation that shows us that Joe Biden likely was aware of what Hunter and his brother and others in the family were doing in terms of selling the Biden name around the globe to some of our adversaries. And it's very likely that he benefited from it. So uh, both Jim and uh, Jim Jordan and Jamie Comer served subpoenas on the White House. And what people I don't think have made clear is on November 17th, the White House responded that without a full vote of the House, we do not recognize the impeachment inquiry is valid and we're going to refuse to uh, satisfy these subpoenas. Uh, We do not believe that's the legal standard. It's not the one that they practiced under when they were in the majority. But I think what our speaker has decided, Mike, is that we're going to go forward with the uh, vote on the floor so that when we do go to court uh, to get these uh, subpoenas enforced, you just take away the White House argument. With the calendar turning to December, obviously time is precious before you get to Christmas and the end of the year. What are some of the must-do items you see this month on the agenda? Well, uh, primarily it's following this appropriations process through. You know, we've had all 12 bills on the floor of the House. Uh, They've all gone through amendment procedures. We passed seven of them. All of our appropriations bills are ready. Even the ones that haven't passed, Mike, are ready for conferencing with the Senate. Mm -hmm. The problem we're having is that the Senate is not doing anything. So what you're looking at, uh, we'll probably see a supplemental before the end of the year that comes from the Senate, a defense supplemental that includes uh, Israel aid, which I want to point out to your listeners Yesterday was 30 days since the House passed a fully paid for Israeli aid package that was asked for. And Chuck Schumer and the Senate still are sitting on it. That, along with Ukraine and Taiwan, will probably come over before the end of the year. And then the speaker will have to figure out how to deal with that. But to your point about the calendar, uh, we started last week with 12 legislative days left in the year. Now we're down to nine or fewer if you count fly in and fly out days, which are not full days. And we don't come back until January 8th. So we're really going to have to uh, step up the pressure on the Senate to get this appropriations process done. A lot of debate, obviously, in Washington over aid to Israel and also to Ukraine. Uh, Where do you stand on providing these allies with aid? I think you've been pretty clear about Israel. But what about Ukraine? Well, and I don't want to step on our, our speakers. So the way I'll put that, Mike, our speaker has made it clear that any aid to Ukraine is going to be uh, tied to the border. Mm -hmm. Uh, You are going to secure the southern border. You're going to secure our borders in general before we uh, we consider the uh, the aid to Ukraine. So I will defer to the speaker uh, as soon as he uh, makes that decision uh, and I will support it. How has the transition gone to a new House Speaker? Mike Johnson's obviously a player you've known on Capitol Hill, but he was not in one of the posts leading to Speaker. He was more of a a lower profile lawmaker. Um, How's he doing in the new job? Well, listen, Mike is the right guy at the right time. Uh, Mike Emanuel, Mike Johnson is. (laughs) Uh, I think uh, he has described it as some people say he's been drinking from a fire hose for the last month. He says, no, actually, it's more like standing at the bottom of Niagara Falls and getting your jaw crushed while getting kicked (laughs) in the stomach at the same time. So uh, he's got a great sense of humor. And uh, more importantly, the guy has been working every single minute. I don't think people understand how big a job that is. And Mike has been doing a great job in his first month. 
You touched on the border a little bit earlier. Um, You see the impact on some of the blue cities like New York City talking about cutting services and that sort of thing to to deal with the influx of migrants. Do you think at some point that has an impact on Democrats in Washington? Well, if it doesn't, it's going to have an impact on them in the election next fall. I mean, if you take a look uh, using staying on your focus of New York, uh, take a look at the uh, county executives, the local uh, races that were held earlier last month. Uh, Republicans now hold all of those uh, county executive seats on Long Island for the first time in 30 years, Mike. Nobody's going to convince me that that isn't directly related to the fact that New Yorkers have had enough. Yes, New York is a blue state. It has blue leadership, you know, Democrat leadership. But the voters are frankly getting fed up. And if Democrats in Washington aren't willing to start listening to them and acting on their concerns, uh, they will act by casting votes for Republicans next fall. As the GOP majority whip, you're obviously responsible for rounding up votes to pass the agenda. Your majority got a little smaller with the expulsion of George Santos, the New York congressman. Um, Why was that such a difficult issue for you and a lot of your colleagues about whether to kick the guy out or not? Well, ultimately, I think the right decision was made and the process worked. But, yes, you're right. I didn't vote for it. And uh, our our speaker didn't vote for it. Our leader didn't vote for it. Uh, several, about half of our members uh, did not vote for it because of the precedent that it sets. Uh, it has, it's a slippery slope. He's the sixth person to be expelled from Congress. Uh, he had not been convicted of anything, even though, uh, you know, the stuff out there is pretty darn damning and egregious, Mike. So that's why I say at the end of the day, uh, it's probably the right decision that was made. Uh, but that's why people were struggling with the uh, legal precedent. How hard is it to pass the agenda with one fewer Republican vote? <laughs> Just as hard as it was with one extra one. The, uh, <laughs> we're, we're probably going to be down another one uh, shortly. We've got uh, a member from Ohio who has been offered a, uh, a, a job running at a university, which uh, he has announced he's going to take. So it's the same challenge we have every week, Mike. We've been doing it since the beginning of January. Uh, it really... It, it, People say, wouldn't it be great to have 240 members? Sure, it would. But we have 221 right now, and the goal is to make sure that they are all on board and that we have a unified Republican agenda that we're moving forward. That's what the public expects, Mike, and that's what we try to do. There have been rumblings about former Speaker Kevin McCarthy's future. Do you have any insight on that? Uh, even if I did, I wouldn't say it, but I, I no, I don't. Uh, Kevin is, uh, obviously I'll, I'll make it clear. It should have happened. I know that's uh, water under the bridge now and we've moved on. We've turned the page and Mike Johnson's doing a great job, but Kevin McCarthy, I uh, did a fantastic job as speaker. And more importantly, he did a great job helping us get back to the majority. Let's dive a bit into Republican oversight. There have been many investigations House Republicans have been prioritizing, namely the investigation into the Biden family's business dealings, new evidence emerging at the end of last month detailing concerns that money Hunter Biden obtained from China ultimately landed in the president's bank account. How do you feel about the state of this investigation, and do you think it could have the power to influence the 2024 election as more evidence continues coming out? Well, I think the key when it comes to this sort of thing is when you see Democrats starting to get very uncomfortable. I think from the Republican side, 
this should not be uh, some kind of uh, uh, joyful experience. This is very serious. Uh, and the job of the Republicans uh, that are running these committees is not to uh, exercise uh, some partisan feeling. It's to expose uh, information that the American public is entitled to know. And you're right. Uh, so far, I, you know, the media wants to say there's no smoking gun, but you've got more than enough information from $200,000 going uh, in one case to pay off a loan that nobody knows what the loan was for, for Joe Biden. You get $40,000 that went directly into his bank account. Uh, those don't seem like large sums, but that isn't the point. The point is he likely knew what was going on and he likely benefited from it. And so right now it's the Republicans job to follow these facts where they lead and to make sure that they uh, they expose whatever happened for the American public. And I, I will add, Mike, if the criminal action or fraud, whatever it is, is not there, then great. The American public deserves to know it. If it is there, uh, they deserve to know that, too. And yes, then I think it will have an impact. I'm curious when you're behind closed doors, you and your whip team with your fellow Republicans, is your message unified that you guys have some power in Washington, but if you splinter, then you're really yielding power to the Democrats? I actually do it in reverse. I start with, uh, and every member knows this, every member has two responsibilities. One, you take care of the people who voted for you. No one in Washington, D.C. voted for you. And just because you come to Washington with a Republican jersey on doesn't mean you forget about the people who put you there and that you're their voice. That's number one. Number two, you got to take care of yourself. Mike, if the member can take care of his or her constituents and take care of themselves, then they can be part of a team. And you saw in the first 10 months and, and even more recently, but certainly in the first 10 months, we defied gravity with that approach, passing a, a historic debt ceiling legislation parental bill of rights, the strongest border security uh, package in 20 years, and the list goes on and on. So it really is about reminding members to empower themselves and be that voice for the people at home and lead. Don't follow, lead. And uh, if you can do that, you can be part of a team. House Majority Whip Tom Emmer of the great state of Minnesota. Thank you so much for your time, sir. Hope to see you again soon. Safe travels. Sounds good, Mike. Thanks for having me. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. I'm Benjamin Hall, Fox News correspondent and New York Times bestselling author. Join me for my brand new podcast, Searching for Heroes. Make sure you subscribe to this series wherever you download podcasts and leave a rating and review. This is Ricky Schlott with your Fox News commentary coming up. Some big names are spending bigger money to boost Nikki Haley's presidential campaign, while other big names are just talking about her. J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon was asked at the New York Times Dealbook last week what he thinks of the candidates. Tell I me. did come out and make a nice statement about Nikki Haley. You did. Even You've been talking to Nikki Haley. Liberal, yes, I have. Even if you're a very liberal Democrat, I urge you, you know, help Nikki Haley, too. You know, get a choice on a Republican side that might be better than Trump. Home Depot founder Ken Langone called her a fighter and noted in a recent interview that Haley's gaining ground. 
But who's doing the jumping in here might matter to voters. Americans for Prosperity, the political network financed by billionaire Charles Koch, is now backing Haley. Haley told Fox News host of the story, Martha McCallum, on Friday. They liked my economic plan. They liked my plan as governor. They liked my policies on how I want to go and get the country back on track. And that's something that every candidate wanted, and we were blessed to get it. So that's the first part of it. And it's a very conservative organization. So we've got conservatives on the ground. One spokeswoman for former President Trump said the Koch backers were lighting their money on fire. Trump is far ahead in polling. Another Trump spokesperson said no amount of shady money from George Soros, Democrats and never Trump rhinos in partnership with endless war swamp creatures will stop President Trump from being the Republican nominee and defeating President Biden. But after three of those debate performances, Haley has climbed up in the polling. She's almost tied for second place in Iowa with Governor DeSantis, and she's in second place behind former President Trump in New Hampshire and South Carolina. I think the momentum is on her side. I think the first debate really showed, um, you know, that Nikki is is the leader on the stage. She's the adult in the room. Jennifer Nassour is the Northeast Regional Director of Women for Nikki. Um, I don't know about you, but, you know, I'm sick of seeing all the boys play in the sandbox. And that's just what it felt like on stage. And that's what it feels like in the White House right now, um, that there's no adult in charge. And she came off that first debate competent, brilliant, qualified. And I think that's what we need in a leader these days. And I think that's that's what gave her the momentum after that first debate moving forward. It may surprise some to look at the polling, right, and see how far ahead President Trump is and then go, well, why are these people all willing to spend so much money now, these bigger donors coming in and seeming to be willing to spend so much to be in second place or so it seems right now? Well, you know, listen, democracy is a wonderful thing when it works. And (laughs) this has come down to being a two person race between Nikki Haley and Donald Trump. I think, you know, you have Trump voters. If you if you look at early polling on Trump voters, something like six out of 10 Trump voters are actually, even though they still support the former president, are open to voting for someone else. And I think when you look at Mm. national polls that have been done and you see that Trump is within the margin of error of beating Biden, um, you see that uh, there is, you know, polling in Nikki Haley's favor in beating Biden by nine points in those swing states that are so needed, going up to 13 points ahead of Biden. And you really, I mean, I don't know if Biden is going to be the nominee or if the Democrats are going to pull a fast one and replace him with someone else. But I think if you put any generic Democrat up there against Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley still wins. Why is it a two person race? Governor DeSantis is still in second place in polling, for example, in Iowa. Is he is he not in the mix <laughs> in the campaign's well, mind? You know, I think. Uh, well, I mean, DeSantis and Haley are neck and neck in Iowa. Nikki Haley is above is second place. Um, and DeSantis is in fifth in New Hampshire. I don't even know where DeSantis is in South Carolina. So, you know, mm-hmm. he's if he doesn't come out winning um, Iowa or coming closer in New Hampshire, which I can't imagine, his his campaign is done. I think the other thing is you see a, a you know faltering campaign um, when he's in, wasting his time on a debate against Gavin Newsom when, you know, I think DeSantis always thought he was going to be the alternative to Trump. But he decided to be Trump 2.0. Well, Trump is in the race. You can get the real guy or you Mm. can get the fake, 
right? And and no one wants no one wants the the you know mock one. They want the real one. So you have you have Donald Trump, and and so where does Ron DeSantis fit in? And his debate performances have been incredibly lackluster the last three debates, and now he's going against Gavin Newsom. Um, in a debate, and and Gavin Newsom is a California showman. He's a he's a celebrity, right? And 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 Ron DeSantis just comes off angry. What happens with an influx of cash? Like, how does the Kelly campaign spend it? I imagine a lot of it gets spent as soon as possible, and is the focus to spend it in Iowa? Yeah. So, I mean, in Iowa, again, you know, Nikki, I think, is in is in second place. You know, they're neck and neck. I think it's 16, 17, 17 is Nikki and and 16 is is uh, DeSantis. Nikki Haley's campaign has said that they're going to expend about 10 million dollars on advertising between New Hampshire and Iowa. That's because Nikki Haley has the money because donors have been investing in her. And I think important to look at is, you know, the Americans for Prosperity endorsement, which is super, super significant because they are the largest conservative grassroots coalition in America. They have millions of of members and have a proven record of engaging its grassroots army in political races across the country, which include in Iowa. <laughs> I was going to was going to ask is that like you so you get the this Coke Foundation backing, right? And you think money, but like how yeah, like how does that get put to use? You're are we envisioning phone calls being made, door knocking by people suddenly more often in Iowa? Yes, absolutely both. <laughs> Right. I mean, you know, this it's a big it was a big deal because they are committed to putting thousands of their AFP activists and grassroots leaders on the ground in those early primary states. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're not far out. Right. We're, you know, 40 something days away. Um, And I think at this point, all boots on the ground is really important having their support um, and their commitment. And I believe that they also have committed to launching an extensive mail and digital campaign, TV campaign um, to supplement those on the ground efforts. Wow. Tell me then about the the path, right? Let's let's go into the poll numbers a little bit um, to, to beating former President Trump with these poll numbers. Like, let's look at Iowa. The polling has um, the former president with a real clear politics average of 47 percent. That's a lot more than any other candidate. Right. But it's less than 50. Same right. in New Hampshire. Right. Forty five point seven percent support more than any other candidate. But less than 50. Is that the focus is the less than 50? And to your earlier point that there seems to be an openness that you've sensed in, in, in polling to for, for, for people who say that they want former President Trump, there there's an openness to another candidate. Like, how does she end up with the nomination? Right. Because, well, I mean, I think that the that there is a very clear path for Nikki Haley. She from the very beginning. Right. Her momentum was forging her own path, going based on her own experience as a state legislator, as a governor, as a U.N. ambassador as a mom, a wife of a combat veteran, right? And so she has been able to take all of her experience, oh, and throw on the fact she's an accountant, right? At a time where the economy is on everyone's lips. And so she has that foreign policy experience. She has that fiscal responsibility experience. And, And so I think all of those things together make her the most amazing candidate. And she is, um, 
surging in those in all those polls around. Now, when you look at Trump and you look at the polling numbers, I, you know, I don't know who gets polled, but I, I think that there's a little bit of if I could vote for my perfect person who I knew could win, maybe it would be Donald Trump, right? However, when we're watching the Super Bowl, we, there could be two teams that come out of their championships, their playoffs, and, you know, they rise up to the Super Bowl. One is much better than the other. And, and in this case, you have to pick the candidate who is going to win in the general election. That candidate is not Donald Trump. He lost to Joe Biden last time. There are some Republican voters, though, and, and you know this, who accuse Nikki Haley of being a quote unquote neocon a globalist, but more often a neocon is what I hear, the, the kinds of pre-Trump Republicans who would win. These are Republicans who don't want to give any more money to Ukraine. They're not really with her necessarily on a full-throated defense of Israel. How do you win a Republican nomination without them? Well, I mean, you know, you don't need everyone. You need a majority. <laughs> and and at the end of the day, the that's that's what wins well, it, 50, right? I mean, these these latest some of these polls, NBC News poll found just 35 percent of Republicans want to keep funding Ukraine. An AP NORC poll this month, 59 percent of Republicans think we're giving Ukraine too much money. It sounds like a, a lot of them, though. Right. And Ukraine's not the only issue. I mean, if you look, you have to, again, you have to look at everything on a larger basis. Um, you have to look at it based on who can win a general election. Are we going to play Russian roulette with our future and our children's futures um, and and hope that it's Donald Trump can squeak out a win? I'm not willing to take that risk. I think that is a very large risk. I would rather put my money on the person who can actually win in a general election. And with her at the top of the ticket, Republicans are going to win races up and down the ballot. We saw what the Trump effect had in 2022. Those midterms were supposed to be a red wave, and they ended up being a red trickle, right? We have such such a slim majority in the House that eight Republicans threw out the speaker because they went and they voted with the Democrats. And so why are we going to put ourselves in that position again where Donald Trump could potentially take down? We have an opportunity to win five United States Senate seats. We will lose those opportunities if Donald Trump is at the top. We need a Republican at the top who is going to be able to pull everyone up from governors and House and Senate and state races. And you guys believe that in this current Republican Party, with the climate that they're in and the way they've been voting with their speaker votes and their 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 principled stand on, you know, I'm not going to vote for uh, I'm not going to vote for X, Y and Z unless there's spending cuts. I mean, this is a Republican Party that it, it seems like maybe wouldn't would not vote for somebody um, that doesn't align with them on, on some of these issues that seem more core and Ukraine funding seems to be one of those issues. Well, I mean, look, they have a they have a choice then. You have a Democrat as a president for another four to eight years, depending on if it's Biden or if it's Newsom or whoever else they want to put in there, or you have a Republican and a Republican that you can go and sit with and and talk to and reason with. Nikki Haley is that person. Nikki Haley is the person who will have an open door policy, who will be willing to listen to both sides and to bring consensus to what is otherwise crazy town in Congress. And so, um, you know, I think that at the end of the day, 
people will see that Trump can't win and that you're going to have to soften on your ideology a little bit to get through. And then once she is in the White House, there's who knows what will happen and what the world will look like, because, God, October 7th, no one saw that coming. Jennifer Nasser, Women for Nikki, Northeast Regional Chair. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Here's a look at the week ahead. Monday, the Supreme Court will hear arguments on Harrington v. Purdue Pharma, a legal challenge to Purdue's bankruptcy plan, which shields the Sackler family from future lawsuits related to the opioid epidemic. Tuesday, President Biden will attend a concert fundraiser in Boston, headlined by Grammy winner James Taylor and former Congresswoman Liz Cheney's book, Oath and Honor, a Memoir and a Warning, will be released, in which Cheney provides a firsthand account from inside the Capitol building during the January 6th riots. Wednesday, the fourth Republican presidential primary debate will take place at the University of Alabama. Thursday is the first night of the Jewish holiday of Hanukkah. Friday, Ethan Crumbly will be sentenced in connection with the 2021 mass shooting at Oxford High School in Michigan. Saturday, Houston's mayoral runoff, pitting Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee against John Whitmire to replace Mayor Sly Turner. And that's a look at your week ahead. I'm Matt Napolitano, Fox News. Hey, it's Will Kane, co-host of Fox & Friends Weekend. Join me as I share my thoughts on a wide range of topics, from sports and pop culture to politics and business. The Will Kane Podcast. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Ricky Schlott. What's on your mind? Portland, Oregon public schools are looking to introduce equitable grading practices, but they're erasing excellence in the process. The troubled Progressive Cities School District is toying with proposals to make grades more even across the board by no longer flunking underperformers and increasing the value of non-academic factors in the grading process. Among the guidelines, no more zeros, no more 100-point scale, no more points docked for late work, and no more grade penalties for kids who cheat. According to a memo from the district, the changes were inspired by concern over racial disparities in grades. The district's chief academic officer, Kimberly Armstrong, told KGW 8 News that the changes are about fairness. Quote, it's about reducing bias. It's about considering diverse backgrounds and needs of students, she said. But where's the fairness in letting cheaters and slackers coast by? Without a doubt, some kids have tougher circumstances to overcome or unfair barriers to straight A's, but the school district is making an enormous mistake by telling those kids, yes, you can't. The bias-resistant framework is expected to be rolled out across Portland next school year, though the district has yet to decide whether the new standards will apply to all grades or just middle and high school students. Meanwhile, dozens of school districts around the country have already rolled out equity-based grading measures, including California, Iowa, Virginia, and Nevada. But educators are suspicious of such sweeping changes. Dr. Meredith Coffey, an educational researcher and former high school English teacher in the Washington, D.C. area, experienced the downsides of these policies firsthand when her district prohibited grades under 50 percent and required her to be more lenient with late work. Quote, I think that teachers in schools should be flexible and responsive to individual student circumstances, Coffey said. But equity is about responding to individual students' needs rather than implementing blanket policies and taking away teacher discretion, unquote. 
Coffee said she had students who would pump up their grades early on in semesters only to then coast, knowing that their average couldn't fall all that far with a 50% minimum. And she even had students say they don't feel like writing an essay since they'll pass either way. Portland can try as much as it wants to make grades more equitable, but performance will never be equitable. It's one thing to try to cool down pressure cooker academic environments. Kids coming home with a B shouldn't feel like abject failures, and academic performance isn't everything. But laziness, tardiness, and carelessness should not be unilaterally excused. These policies erase nuance and lump kids who are actually struggling together with those who game the system. Students are clever. Slackers will game the system. It's nothing new. Meanwhile, their classmates who grind and get the best grades they possibly can, in spite of whatever external challenges they may face, should be rewarded with an accurate measure of their success. They should walk away with a distinguished record, not a transcript full of equity-based gobbledygook. You know what's not equitable? Effort, ability, and execution. Portland needs to wake up to that reality. I'm Ricky Schlott, the author of The Canceling of the American Mind. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.